0: All right. How's that sound from a volume standpoint? Pretty good. So I'm excited that Kaylee will be working at a church with one of my best friends, and so I'll still get to see her pretty regularly. Does this mean, is she here? Did she leave? Oh, uh, okay. Didn't mean to call her out on that. Just didn't, I wonder if she'll be at camp. Maybe she'll be at camp. Because, she did she tell you she'd probably be at camp? All right, cool. So that's awesome. So we'll get to see her still, just not as often, so it'll be fun. Go ahead and open up, if you will, to Galatians chapter 5. So um, you may or may not know that in the adult Sunday school class, Galatians is what they've been teaching through. And um, this is a little bit the lesson I taught there two weeks ago. So two weeks ago, they had me teach just focused on Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 to 21. So I kind of took that And expanded it a little bit more. But really this passage, Galatians chapter 5 verses 16 to 25 that we'll be looking at, they're about life in the spirit versus life in the flesh. And contrasting those two things and explaining to us that as followers of Christ, we have the option. And so Galatians, if you're not familiar with it, is all about how we are justified By faith in Christ, apart from the works of the law. When we say justified, what does that mean? Well, to be justified is to be made right. To be made right specifically, when we talk about Galatians, to be made right with God. And you might step back and say, well, why do we need to be made right with God? And it is because we all have a huge problem. And it's called sin. We all are sinners. And the problem with sin is it separates us from God. When it comes to the question of why are you here, why do you exist, the reason you are here and the reason you exist is because God created you to first glorify him And honor him and live a life that shows how great he is. But also, you were created by God to enjoy fellowship with him, a relationship with him. More than just a surface level interaction, but a deep, intimate relationship. The same kind of relationship you have with your parents and family and friends. But perhaps even at a deeper level, that's why you were created. And the problem with sin, our rebelliousness, our disobedience to God, is that it separates us from God. And in fact, the Bible tells us clearly that because of sin, we die. The penalty for sin is death. And people throughout history have realized that there's this problem. You look throughout the scope of human history— all cultures in all times they recognize there's something greater than us something put us here sure you're going to come across an atheist here or there right or at least somebody who claims to be an atheist but throughout human history there's not a culture or a society of atheists. it's an abnormality that maybe one or two individuals in a group might have but throughout human history Because we were created by God and in the image of God and made for fellowship with God, we have this innate understanding that there is somebody greater than us. And we also have this innate understanding our conscience condemns us that there's a rebellion in us that has created a conflict. And so you go to any culture throughout human history and they're trying to figure out how do we be made right with God. That's how we end up with all these human religions, right? That's how you go to any place in history. You find people trying to figure out how can we be right with God? And while they take different colors, different approaches, different flavors, what is the overarching answer you hear from every single one of them without exception? Well, I'm going to give you one exception. But otherwise, works-based. You go to... Ancient Rome, ancient Africa, ancient Asia. You go to modern day, anywhere in the world, and the chorus of humanity is we have to work hard to be made right with God. I mean, even look at the major religions, like Judaism, like Roman Catholicism, like Islam. It's the same system in a sense. They look very different, use a lot of different words, have different books, scriptures, but the answer is, from each of them is the same. You need to work hard and do these things to be made right with God. It is the exception, the one exception, the gospel of Jesus Christ that says that is absolutely impossible. And it makes me think of Romans chapter 10 where Paul's talking about the Jews and their efforts to be made right with God through the law, through <clears throat> right actions, through working hard. In in Romans 10, Paul says, hey, I give them credit that they are zealous for the things of God, but it's a zealousness, is that a word? It's a zealousness that is based on ignorance. An ignorance of the righteousness of God and his perfect holy standard and the ignorance of our sinfulness and how far short we fall of God's standard. Because as soon as you understand the holiness of God, in his righteous requirements. And as soon as you understand your sinfulness, you recognize that any human attempt to be made right with God is just absolutely impossible. It's a gap that is too far to bridge. And that's where the good news of the God. Do you want the bad news or the good news first? Well, there's the bad news. The good news is the gospel. That's where Jesus Christ steps in, because in God's love and mercy, he extended to us the path, the justification, the path to closing that gap. And the answer is that the penalty for our sin had to be paid, and God paid that penalty, closed that gap through the death of his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. And as John 3.16 says, so so that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. It is by faith and faith alone through God's grace that we are justified with God. And that gap is closed. And that's what Galatians is about. Paul was writing to the Galatians because they had heard the gospel, they had believed the gospel, but then the Judaizers, this group of people who said, no, 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 it can't be just by faith, you've got to still keep the law, we've got to add to faith the things of the law, and there's plenty of systems, because you look at most of these false world religions, and faith has a component, right, like I think all of them would say, yeah, faith is a piece of it, but in addition to faith, you need to do all these other things too to complete this process of salvation. Well, that, those, that kind of thought process, that false teaching, was infiltrating into the Galatians and church and threat, churches and threatening to pollute their faith in the gospel. And so that's where Paul steps in, and the overarching theme of Galatians is we are justified, made right with God by faith in Christ, apart from the works of the law. But as Paul always does in his letters, he teaches a lot of theology, he teaches them a lot of things about God, but then he transitions later in the letter typically to how does this look in our lives? Like how should our lives be changed through this new relationship with God in Jesus Christ? And that's what he's doing in Galatians chapter five. He starts to talk about life in the spirit Versus what we will call, what he calls, life in the flesh. Because have y'all ever shared the gospel with somebody? And they're like, wait a second. So you mean to tell me that once I put my faith in Jesus, that gives me a hall pass to go do whatever I want. And God has to forgive me? Like, I can just say I believe in Jesus, and then go out and commit any sins, any number of sins, as much as I want. Completely live for myself, and that doesn't matter? Has, has anybody ever challenged you with that? If you share the gospel enough, for sure, somebody's going to challenge you with that at some point. And is that true? Is it true that you can just say, hey, I believe in Jesus, and then go do anything you want, and it doesn't matter? No, that's not true. That's not the gospel. Because what happens when you come to faith? How is it that you come to faith? So Ephesians tell us it's by grace through faith. William, what is the, for lack of a better word, mechanism in your life, what happens in your life that brings you to faith in Christ? Who's at work? Who's the person at work? Jesus, Jesus? yes, and The Holy Spirit. That's the answer I was looking for, this Holy Spirit of Christ, right? Um, So, yes, we come to faith because the Holy Spirit, by God's grace, comes to live inside of us and gives us that faith to believe in Christ. And that same Holy Spirit that dwells inside the life of a believer changes you it changes who you are. Paul says 2 Corinthians 5:17 that if we are in Christ, we are new creatures. The old things have gone away, behold, new things have come. We are new creations in Christ through the Holy Spirit. Think about Romans chapter 6 where Paul talks about baptism and the picture of baptism, and the picture is your old life, your old way. Jesus said take up your cross if you want to follow me, and die to yourself, right? Your old self is laid to rest, is buried, and you are raised in baptism. That's the picture, to walk in a newness of life. As we get to Galatians chapter 5, that is what we are talking about. This new life. In Galatians 5, 16 to 25, 24, this, um, 25, this new life in Christ. Before Christ, you don't have the option that Galatians 5 is talking about. Because Galatians is going to give you two options. You can choose to live a life empowered in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, or you can choose to live in the flesh. Before you become a Christian, you don't have that choice. You're a slave to your flesh. You're a slave to your sin. But now that you are in Christ, This is the choice that gets presented to you. The choice that we must make day by day, and I would even say hour by hour, minute by minute, is to live a life in the Spirit, in the power of the Spirit, and not in the flesh. A really helpful picture that Paul gives us in Ephesians 5.18, he says, don't be drunk with wine, but instead be filled with the Spirit. Now, uh, his point that he's making there is when when you are drunk with alcohol, what happens? You lose control over yourself, right? Like the controlling influence on your behavior becomes that alcohol. That's the problem that Paul's getting at there. It's, uh, you don't act the way you normally would act. You don't do the things you normally would do because you are being driven, controlled by this alcohol. Paul says, hey, don't do that. Instead, take that same picture, but let it be the Holy Spirit that drives you, the Holy Spirit that controls you. Uh, The word he uses, but be filled with the Spirit. That word filled there, the Greek word is the exact same word they would use for the sail of a ship that is being filled with, driven by the wind. That's the picture that Paul is giving us. And As we get into this, a big piece of what Paul's going to do here in Galatians chapter 5 is he wants us to know what does a life in the Spirit look like and what does life in the flesh look like. So we get some list here. He says, here's the product of the flesh and the product of the Spirit. Flee from the flesh and pursue the Spirit. So we're going to look at three different sections here. Part 1 your notes the ongoing battle verses 16 to 18 because there's a battle here before you're in Christ when you don't believe in Jesus there is no battle you just live in the flesh right but after you come to Christ we'll see that there is a battle verses 16 to 18 the second part we'll look at the deeds of the flesh in verses 19 to 21 And then verses 22 to 25, the life of the Spirit will be our third part here. So I'm going to just read this full section for us, and we'll get started. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. He shows us here in verses 16 to 18 That there is in the life of the believer this battle, right? Um, And you see some words here like walk. He talks about walk in the spirit. And he talks about later on practice, those who practice a life in the flesh. Because the reality is there's a battle, right? And um, are you always going to perfectly live in the spirit? No. No. You're going to make mistakes. You are going to the things that we see in the flesh. Those things are going to crop up in your life from time to time, sometimes very often. But what he uses the words walk in practice here because what he's talking about is our habitual lifestyle. And we'll expand on that here a little bit more. But when he says walk in the Spirit, what he's saying is let the habits of your life, the habit of your life, to be living a life led by the Spirit, led by the things of God. And as I said, this battle exists in the life of a believer because while you are a new creation in Christ, and that is absolutely true, and the Holy Spirit still dwells inside of you, have, have you been made perfectly at this point into the image of christ we talk about when we talk about this process right so you come to jesus and that's your moment of salvation and then we talk about this process of sanctification that when you hear people talk about the process of sanctification that's the day-by-day process of the holy spirit taking you from who you used to be and making you more and more like jesus more and more who god wants you to be and guess what that process continues throughout your life and you are not finished with that process until you die and end up in heaven when you end up in heaven we talk about glorification the part where that process is done and you are now in heaven perfectly who god wants you to be but as long as you are on this earth that is an ongoing process that is not complete because this new person you are in Jesus Christ lives within this unredeemed body that we have. So when you're in heaven and you get a new body, your body's going to be perfect. Whatever flaws, and we all have flaws, right? you have right now, whatever health issues you have right now, those aren't going to exist in heaven. You will be a perfected person person in a perfected body but right now your new person this new life that you have in jesus christ exists in this old body and those old desires from your flesh your unre- the unredeemed part of your body continue to wage a battle and you see that in verse 17 and he says the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and he says you even do the things you don't want to do If you're in Jesus, how many of you who are in Christ, who you know you put your faith in Christ, would say, yeah, I recognize that. I find myself doing something, and I instantly hate that I just did that. I have instant regret, instant conviction over what I just did. I experience it all the time, every single day. I do stuff and I think oh man that's my old flesh I really don't wish I was doing that because the desire of my heart because the Holy Spirit lives inside of me the desire of my heart is to live a life led by the Spirit the desire of my heart because I love Jesus is to live a life that glorifies him yet I'm trying to live that out in this body that is still not redeemed and has these old desires. So you feel this battle every single day. Before you come to Christ, you don't feel that battle, right? Because you're just a slave to sin. And so people are like, your, your, your parents are like, hey, you're being real hateful to your siblings again. And you're like, eh, okay, whatever. You don't really care, right? They're, or, hey, you're, you're living this way that is not right. You don't really care. There's not that battle there. But for us who are in Christ, verses 16 to 18 talk about this ongoing battle. Part two here, the deeds of the flesh. Because if we're going to live the life that God wants us to live, we need to know what are the things that God demands of us and what are the things that God wants us to stay away from. In verses 19 to 21, Paul tells us about the deeds of the flesh. He says they are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I'm not going to go through this list and define them all for you, but I will say there's really three broad categories that you see here. The first one has to do with the physical pleasures. You see drunkenness, carousing, immorality, sensuality. Is God anti-pleasure? Would you say God's anti-pleasure? No? If you've read the Bible, you can see very clearly God is not anti-pleasure. In fact, who gave us the ability to enjoy physical pleasure? God. The thing is, he created those things for a purpose and to be enjoyed within certain contexts, right? And to not be controlled by those things. So the problem with drunkenness is just like he's talking about Paul in Ephesians chapter 5. When that drunkenness controls you, you are no longer being led by the Spirit, but you are now being led by some foreign substance working in conjunction with your unredeemed flesh. When he talks about uh, sensuality and um, sexuality, God created that, but within the context of marriage. And it's when it gets outside of that, that it becomes a completely destroying, destructive, and controlling sinful force in a person's life. I think of, I believe it's 1 Timothy 6, 17, where Paul tells Timothy, hey, God has given us all things to enjoy. God wants us to be happy and enjoy life, but within the context that he's, given us within the way that he's created us not by our own means you see a second big category here is religious you see sorcery idolatry as I mentioned earlier you go throughout the course of human history anywhere in the planet and people have got all sorts of bad ideas about God we were created to worship God to glorify him and have fellowship with him, we can only do that through his truth, through who he really is. The third broad category that he gives us here is our relationships with one another. Angers, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying. God created us to live in loving fellowship with one another. And it's our flesh, it's the sinfulness within us that creates division and contention. Another thing I would point out from this list is it's not exhaustive, right? Like Paul's not giving us every single sin that could possibly be conceived of of here. What he is essentially doing is just painting pictures for us. Here's a picture of what life in the flesh looks like. He's going to give us a picture of what life in the Spirit looks like. Which one describes your life? Which one are you pursuing? He's not giving us exhaustive lists. The third major point I would make from this list, though, is that we are all guilty. Every single one of us. Sure, you might be able to go through this list and find something you're not guilty of, like sorcery. To my knowledge, I've never gotten into sorcery. Like, I can't even get into Lord of the Rings. Like, Gandalf starts shooting off fireworks and the doors start dancing around, that's as far as I get. I shut it off. I just lose interest. So, you know, like magical type stuff, demonic types, not that Lord of the Rings is, but I'm just, you you do know people, right, who like get into like, they're entertained by like these demonic things, or they're. you, you know people who struggle with those. It's not ever been something that I've in any way been tempted by. So, sure, you might come through this list and be able to find one, two things that, maybe you don't struggle with. But what does James 2.10 tell us? If we keep the whole law and yet stumble in one part, we become guilty of all of it, right? We are lawbreakers. And it's perhaps easy to get by this list if you think of it at a superficial level. But what if you think of it at the level of God? And that The standard that Jesus gives us in the Sermon on the Mount where he says, hey, the law says don't commit adultery, but if you look at somebody with lust in your heart, you're guilty of adultery, or the law says don't murder, but if you harbor anger in your heart, you are guilty of murder. You see, if we keep it at a superficial level, it's easy for us to pardon ourselves, right? But that's not the standard. There's one standard that matters, and it's God's standard. And God looks at the heart. And so if we take God's standard, which again is the only standard that matters, and we consider the words of James that if we stumble in one part, we are sinners and guilty of all, the only conclusion we can arrive at is that we are sinners in desperate need of a savior right every single one of us every single one of us and that's the good news of the gospel the good news of the gospel is that yes we all fall short yes we are all sinners but god sent a savior to redeem us and a savior that we can be confident in at first this list may shake your confidence, right? Because he says, Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, I just said we're all guilty, right? And so, if we're all guilty, how can we feel confident in our salvation if? Those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. What specifically is the condemning activity when it comes to this list? And the key word there is practice. The key word is practice. That's the word we got to really dig into here. Because he's not saying those who commit these things are automatically going to hell. When we talk about practice, when the Bible talks about practice, it's something that is done as a lifestyle. It's an activity, an unrepentant activity, that defines who you are. So another example of where this gets brought up, Acts 19, 19. So in Acts 19, Paul has preached in Ephesus, and specifically the issue of sorcery that he brings up here. There were um, magicians in Ephesus who hearing the gospel and hearing the sinfulness of their actions, believe the gospel, they repent, and they all go pile up their um, sorcery books in the middle of the city and start burning them. Like that's a good picture of true repentance. They are turning away from that stuff. But the word that Paul uses there is those who practice magic gathered up their things, their books, and began to burn them in an act of um, repentance. They, they were people who practiced magic. That's who they were known to be. That is what they, they uh, do. And we use this terminology too, right? Like if you've got to go to court, you want somebody who practices law. A lawyer is somebody who practices law. It's something that they have dedicated their life to learning. It takes a high level of skill. It takes a high level of commitment. If you're going to have surgery, you want somebody who practices medicine, right? We, you think of um, Dr. Morris, uh, who teaches out there, and uh, he sells books and stuff, too. We call him a radiologist because that is who he is. Like, that, it, it, his skill level, his level of commitment to his profession defines who he is. He is a practicing radiologist. Now, yesterday, Jenna bought some light fixtures, and I tried really hard to install them, and we were about 50% successful, Okay. So I did install one light fixture, but would you ever call me an electrician? No. Now, did I do electrical work? Yeah, but I'm not an electrician. Have I installed the faucet before? Yes. Am I a plumber? Absolutely not. I'm scared to ask. Ian, go ahead. I think even that would be a little bit overstating it, Ian. Um, But you get the point, right? You get the point. You can get how um, uh, when, when Paul talks about practice here, he's talking about the defining feature of somebody's life. And it is those who will not inherit the kingdom of God. Essentially, what he's saying here is that if your life is defined by complete disregard for sin and a a lack of repentance, then you're not a follower of Christ. The Holy Spirit doesn't dwell inside of you because there's not that battle against your flesh that defines the life of a person who is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Like you get people who say, hey, I'm worried about my spiritual health because I am really struggling with this sin, you know? And it just eats me up. I hate it. Uh, It's something I'm taking action against it. I talk to my parents and I pray about it and I'm just really struggling against this sin. You know, that's actually a really healthy sign of your spiritual life. When you should really be concerned is when you don't have any struggle with sin. When you don't care, when you don't recognize in your own life this battle that, it, that is taking place here that Paul is talking about. And also when you do have sorrow over sin, asking why. Well, are you sorry because you got caught? Like do people have a worldly sorrow over sin from time to time? Sure, Yeah. You know, if you are addicted to drugs, at some point that becomes really inconvenient in life because it's hard to keep a job, you have trouble with your family, stuff like that. That's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about worldly sorrow. We are talking about a repentance that is driven because you love God and you want to live a life that honors and glorifies Him. The con, the, 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 Alternative that Paul calls us to here in verses 22 to 25 is our third part. Live by the Spirit. He says, in contrast with the flesh, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Now, for me, and this just might be me, I almost find the fruit of the Spirit list more convicting, you know? Because... I just recognize a real lack of it oftentimes in my life. You read through this and you just think, oh man, I do see it. Like I see this growing in my life and I see this, um, the spirit working in these things, but I want more. I want more. The fruit of the spirit in, in the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against such things. There is no law. What he's telling them too there with that last phrase, against such things there is no law. Remember a big reason he's writing Galatians is because there's become this preoccupation with the law. The Judaizers have come in and said, hey, you better be keeping the law if you guys want to get to heaven. And Paul's, part of what his response here is, not the fullness of his response, but part of it is, look, you live a life filled with the spirit infused with the spirit and driven by the spirit you will naturally fulfill the things of the law think about what jesus answered when they asked him what are the two greatest commandments and i'm sure they asked jesus that question thinking that he was going to get into like some technicalities of the Torah and the law of Moses. And like, well, you know, you got Moses where he said this back in Deuteronomy. And no, instead, Jesus says, well, love God and love people. And on those two things, all the commandments hang. Like that had to just floor them, right? Jesus, in a sense, is saying, live by the Spirit. There's no law against the things of the Spirit. In verse 24, he he really, verses 24 and 25 go together to talk about what I had brought up earlier. The Christian life is about turning from the flesh, putting to death the desires and the deeds of the flesh, and pursuing life In the Spirit. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. So, how do we do that? I think a big part of our application here is what does it practically look like to pursue a life in the Spirit? But before we get to that, First of all, do you even have that option? Because remember, until you come to a place of recognizing your sinfulness, your need to be reconciled with God, and the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross and was raised again and lives today at the right hand of the Father to make intercession for those who believe in Him, and that it's through His work that you are reconciled, until those truths become a reality in your life, and you say, you know, I want to repent of my sin and place my faith in Jesus Christ and follow Him, until that happens, you can't do any of this. You're a slave to the flesh. And your only option is to practice a life in the flesh. And the outcome is very clear. The outcome is very clear at the end of verse 21 those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So this this life we're talking about isn't possible until you place your faith in Christ and that's the first thing you've got to evaluate. Have I come to that place where I recognize my need for a Savior and I have trusted in Christ to be that Savior? That's question number one. But then once that happens, that's when you enter into this battle. And that's when this new life infused by the Holy Spirit, takes place in your unredeemed flesh. And so you're going to have these battles going on. And your choice is to live by the Spirit, walk in the Spirit. And the question is, how do you do that? And it happens, I'm going to tell you, in two different arenas. The first is an individual arena, and the second is a corporate arena, which is the church. So on the individual arena standpoint, it comes down to your day-to-day disciplines, your day-to-day life. So Ephesians and Colossians were kind of written side-by-side by by Paul, so they have a lot of parallel themes. And in Ephesians chapter 5, remember we talked about how he says, um, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, be driven by the Spirit. And in Colossians 3.16, he says, let the word of Christ dwell within you richly. That's priority number one. If you want to grow in Christ, in a life led by the Spirit, let the words of the Spirit, the Word of Christ, dwell in you richly. That is just a day-by-day diet of God's Word. A day-by-day reading of His Word, reading passages. And then I'm telling you, this isn't, I say day-by-day, And it's really bad. This is because the world's a hard place to live, right? Like the flesh stuff is bombarding you nonstop. So you've got to find a way to like not just spend 10 minutes in the morning and then shut your Bible and then move on because the rest of the day the flesh is going to be bombarding you. You've got to find ways throughout the day to continually draw yourself back to the Word of God. So there's many ways to do this, but I'm just going to tell you what works for me. You know, um, my way's not perfect, and I am far, 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 far from perfect. So feel free to improve on this in any way you see fit. But it starts with reading his word in the morning. You got to get up early. You got to get up before all your day-to-day responsibilities start. And then throughout the day, like usually it's the top of the hour for me. I aim for the top of the hour to take a few minutes to pull out. I use a Bible app, memory app, but you can use flashcards, whatever, And just, what's a verse that I'm memorizing today that I am meditating on and thinking on throughout the day? And I try just for a few minutes every hour to draw my mind back to God's truth. And whatever conflicts are going on, whatever pressures are going on, challenges, just how do I put those things back before God and think about them in a biblical way? Because life is so hard. I find it very difficult. Maybe you're one of the fortunate ones that life's just super easy for. But I think it's a minute-by-minute battle throughout the day to live in the power of the Spirit and not give in to the things of the world and the things of the flesh. Prayer is another big piece. And like, we don't have a lot of time. Sorry if I'm cutting in on smart. But like, for prayer, I have to have a plan there also. So I have lists that I pray through. But I want to commit myself to praying every single morning. And if I don't go in with a plan, then after about 30 seconds, I find my mind just spending a lot more energy on trying to figure out what to pray about than actually praying, right? So, like, the list is there to help me. My friends are on it. My family's on it. My uh, church stuff is on it. Like, my work people are on it. Everything's on it so that I can take that time and really focus on praying and, again, just orienting my spirit To the things of the Holy Spirit in this battle to live to walk in the power of the Spirit it happens corporately though too right so those are there's individual disciplines that are absolutely critical but we're designed to live in the body of Christ and so just as important for your spiritual health to walk in the Spirit is how are you involved in the local church do you just show up or Do you actually come to worship God first and foremost and to pour into the lives of others, to serve others, to love on others? You can't live the life in the spirit that God has called you to if you're not a healthy part of the body of Christ. You've got to find those relationships within the body of Christ, find a way to make them a top priority in life. So that there's other things going on, but church is always way up on the list. And I'm not skipping church, except for on some occasions, and if I really need to. Like, the church has a high priority in my life, because it's the body of Christ. And that's ultimately who you are wanting to serve. So if you are in Christ, and I pray that you are, and if you are in Christ, we each have a choice, minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day. Are we going to live in our, the influences of our unredeemed flesh or in the power of the Spirit? And if we are making the choice to live in the power of the Spirit, it's going to start with those individual disciplines and strong effort. It takes a lot of effort, and it's going to involve how do we love and serve one another, all right? Let us pray. Lord, we do thank you that you live within us and you enable us to live in your power, to live obediently to you, to live a life that is fruitful and glorifying of you. And I just pray that you would help us to do that every day and that you would put it within our hearts, that that desire to love you more, to know you more, and to continue to grow in you. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.